Last week, uh, I took some time and attempted to define worship. Worship, and you may not be interested, but you're going to be interested after tonight because I'm going to force feed you on this, okay? And I think you're going to be very surprised at what you find out tonight. I think this is going to be worth the journey tonight. So if you just hold on to it for just a minute. Worship is a matter of the heart. We said that genuine worship aims to honor God. Uh, It aims to uh, connect with God, standing on tiptoe in anticipation of that connection. It seeks, worship does, in an act of worship to touch God and be touched by Him. We want that to go both ways. We want to bless God with our worship and we want God to bless us with His presence. When worship is centered on God, it is about God, it is for God, it honors God, and it glorifies God. When worship is broken, uh, it is about us, it is for us, it it glorifies us and, and our misconception, our own misconception of worship. And ultimately, last week we said worship is about God because God is worthy. Those were just some of the things that we said. And we looked at the first occurrence of worship in the Bible. The word worship first occurs in the story of Abraham and Isaac going to Mount Moriah where they were going, the Bible says, they were going to worship. They were going to offer a sacrifice. And you know that story. And we looked at in some detail the specific word that was used uh, that meant worship. And so uh, the word word picture of worship, the very first word in the Bible, the first Hebrew word in the Bible that that means worship is a picture of someone bowing, kneeling, stooping, or lying face down on the ground before God. Uh, But it's preeminently, first of all, this idea of worship is preeminently a matter of the heart. Uh, So that leads us to the next major use of the word worship in the Old Testament. And it, the next word change, the word worship is used several times in the book of Genesis, but it's always that same word. It's the Hebrew word shaka, which means to bow low or prostrate oneself in honor of some, someone who is higher or more worthy. But the second word for worship actually appears in the book of Exodus, and it appears at the story of Moses at the burning bush. Now you think about it. You have significant moments. The first significant moment in the Bible that worship is mentioned is in context, is in the context of Abraham on Mount Moriah going with Isaac to offer that sacrifice and and finding out that God has provided a, a, a lamb in the place of Isaac. So the second time that the There's a word change, but it's translated worship, is in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, where Moses is at the burning bush, and the Lord says to him, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. 
Now, the word here is not the same word. It's not the word that means to bow low. It's actually a word that means to serve. And so many times you'll find it translated serve, even in this book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, in your Bible, the word may say serve, but when you get there, you're going to find out there's no service. It's all about worship. And that's the, what we're going to talk about in just a minute. So they were, Moses and the children of Israel, his purpose and God's purpose for them was to bring them out of Egypt and to bring them back to this very spot where Moses is standing. It's holy ground, as you know. God says, what? Take your shoes off your feet for the ground on which you're standing is holy ground. And he says, I'm sending you you're going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and you're going to come back to this spot and all of you together are going to worship me at this mountain. There is a moment of worship in their lives. They're going to have to adjust their lives to do that. And so last week I sought to define worship and this week I want to show you how you and I are defined by worship. That's the title of the message tonight defined by worship and I want to tell you why I'm what I'm going to show you tonight I'm going to prove to you that this is such a major moment in the history of the Bible that it sets a standard for every other encounter with God in the Bible it sets a standard but I also want to show you that the standard is lower the standard set here is lower than what we are supposed to look for and anticipate in our own worship in the church. And I'm going to prove that to you from Scripture tonight. So, uh, perhaps you've heard in recent years about churches that have worship wars, and there are many reasons for that. And here's the first reason. From the moment God causes people to worship, the devil does everything in his power to keep worship from taking place. Now, on Sunday night in our discipleship training, we've been the title of the study is Don't Let the Devil Have a Seat at Your Table. Do you know what the Lord did for the people? The Bible says the Lord prepared a table in the wilderness for his people. He prepared a table in the wilderness, and he provided for them. He was their protector. He was their provider. He was everything they needed in the wilderness. And here he is inviting them to himself in the wilderness, inviting them to his table. And you're going to see the devil doing everything in his power to keep them from taking advantage of that opportunity. First, I remind you that the history of those people was going to be shaped by what happened in this single service of worship. Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, The Lord said, You with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, so now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. In verse 12, they were called to worship. In verse 18, you'll see that part of worship is always involves sacrifice. It's about giving something or offering something. Worship, we said last week, is not always easy or comfortable. It does not always make me feel good. In fact, 
it often stretches me calling for my surrender and sacrifice. So one of the first things that I want you to see is that our worship is intended to set us apart from the culture. It's intended to set us apart from the culture. Uh, one of the things, one of the, the Bible says, you know, you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I think that's one of the Ten Commandments. It's broken a lot these days, isn't it? But it is one of the ten. And so, as you see, God is asking them to make this journey. You think, well, couldn't they just remain in Egypt and worship? Couldn't they have done that? Couldn't they have just had a worship service in Egypt, built a, built a tabernacle in Egypt and worshiped in Egypt and not had to separate themselves from Egyptian culture? No, God wanted them to make this three-day journey. The worship he wanted was a worship that was going to require a major adjustment in their own lives. And genuine worship always demands such an adjustment. It demands a major adjustment. But any effort at worship is going to bring us into conflict with the enemy. And that's the next major point that you need to remember. And I want to show you that. Now, would you say that God has called us to worship? The Bible says as much, uh, you know, God, see, he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. I don't think any of us would argue about that, but uh, there's a lot of argument about worship. As soon as you begin to move in that direction, you just move, try to move a church in that direction, try to move a congregation in that direction of, of being more passionate in their, in their relationship with God, and you just see how much uh, trouble you get into. The mere request, once it was delivered to Pharaoh, generated significant conflict. As a matter of fact, if you'll remember when Moses went and told Pharaoh what he wanted to do, uh, Pharaoh demanded the taskmasters to no longer provide straw for the people, so they had to gather their own straw, and then they increased the quota of bricks they had to make. And the ripple effect of that was it generated quite a controversy in the, in the congregation, and so the people began to to question Moses and Aaron, they began to complain, and as a result, Moses began to question his own call and his own mission to lead the people to worship. And in Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we read, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. As a matter of fact, I probably offended some of you last week that when I suggested that we reevaluate our own worship in terms of whether or not it ought to please us or please God, but let me make it clear, worship is not about what we do, it's about why we do it, it's about our aim and our passion and whether or not it seeks an encounter with God. The ultimate review of worship is not whether I am pleased or whether you are pleased. It's whether God is pleased. That's, the, whether, that's true whether I'm singing or serving or preaching or doing anything else. God is the one who evaluates my worship and determines whether it's pleasing. Now, before we're finished tonight, I, I want to establish the fact that the worship to which they were called in the Old Testament is, in fact, the standard of worship in the Bible. It sets the bar, but it's a lower bar than New Testament worship. 
I'm going to show you that in just a minute. And you want me to hurry up and get there. But I need to slow down just a little bit. Because while we've said that uh, God was calling them apart from the culture that they might worship, today the enemy is working to convince people that they no longer need to be separated from the worship in order from the culture in order to worship God. They can worship God while at travel ball, or they can worship God while at Disney, or they can worship God while at grandma's. They no longer need to be in church. Nobody need to attend a service of worship. And the problem with that is because we've lost sight of what worship ought to be. If worship adheres to the standard to which I refer, then being a part of a worship service, a true worship service, one like we're talking about that they're about to have, would be more inviting and more exciting than being at Disney or anywhere else. So the problem is we've lowered the standard. We have a service but not worship. We have church but not worship. We have, church, we have fellowship but not worship. As a result, church becomes all about seeing people. As a matter of fact, I've had people say that to me. I miss seeing my people. I don't get to see my people. Church is no longer at all about seeing God, and we don't miss him if he's not there. So as we continue through this effort of Moses to lead the people to worship, you'll see that there's this continuing opposition of the enemy. And so uh, you'll see that uh, he doesn't want them to leave the land, but most of all, he doesn't want them to experience God and, and the Moses' call from God became clearer and clearer. So we look at chapter 7 of Exodus, verse 16. The Lord said, Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness, but until now you've not listened. Now, this word in 7.16 that might say serve in your Bible is exactly the same Hebrew word that's translated worship in, in, in the earlier in Exodus 3.12. God's calling them to go and worship. And so Moses is to tell Pharaoh, God wants you to let us go so that we can go and worship. And again, that single service of worship is going to shape, it's going to define them for the rest of their journey. So repeatedly, Moses approaches Pharaoh with these words and he says, let my people go that they may serve me. Then he does it again in, in, in chapter 8, verse 20, let my people go that they may serve me. In chapter 9, verse 2, let my people go that they may serve me. 9, 13, let my people go that they may serve me. Again in 10, 3 and in other places and in every case, it is that same Hebrew word, let my people go so that they may worship me. That's the whole emphasis in this. This is not about serving God. This is about worshiping God. They're about to attend a great service of worship. And so how did Pharaoh seek to hinder their worship? And I want you to notice if the same thing doesn't happen in the church today. First, he attempted to limit their separation. To limit their separation. And you'll notice in chapter 8, Verses 25 through 26, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to the Lord your God within the land. You can do it within the land. You don't have to leave. You don't, you don't have to go away. You don't have to separate from the culture. 
You do it within the land. And Moses said, it's not right. If we do it here in the land, what we offer as a sacrifice will be an abomination to the Egyptians. By the way, worship is always an abomination to those who still belong to the Lord of the land, whether they're outside the church or inside the church. I want you to listen very carefully. Worship is an abomination to people who are more connected to the devil than they are to the Lord. I give you a striking illustration from the Old Testament. Do you remember when David was bringing home the Ark of the Covenant? You remember that story? You remember when David danced before the Ark of the Covenant leading the service of worship as the Ark of the Covenant was coming back in? You remember his wife was looking out the window at him and she saw him disgracing himself because all he had on was a little linen ephod. You know what a linen ephod is? You remember Samuel's mother brought one to him when, when he was staying with Eli. It's a priestly garment. David did not, he was not clothed in his royal robes, but he was garbed in the clothes of worship. He had on a priestly garment, and he was leading a worship service. And his wife looked at him, and she despised him, and she told him so. And the Bible said, and she was barren the rest of her life. The Lord despised her estimation of David's effort to have passionate worship, to be passionate in his service to God. So there needs to be no compromise when God calls you to worship. Listen to Moses articulate that. He says we, in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 27, we must go a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God. So first, he said, he said limit your separation. Do it within the land. Second, he attempted to limit their commitment. Look at verse 28 of chapter 8. Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away. The devil always wants, to, wants us to give God a watered-down version of whatever it is that he's asked from us. If it's our offering, if it's our service, if it's our commitment, the devil says, well, just give him a watered-down version. He'll be satisfied with that. Give him a watered-down worship service. Give him a watered-down sermon. God is not satisfied with watered-down worship. The devil says, water it down. Let that be enough. But Moses said, we must go all the way. Next, here's the big one. The third attempt at compromise, the devil said, why don't you just make it generational? If one group wants to worship, let them worship and divide the whole thing up. Look at verses, uh, chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? Moses said, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. Then he said to them, Thus may the Lord be with you. If I ever let your little ones go, take heed, for evil is in your mind. Go now the men among you and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Do you see how the devil is still doing this? 
he's dividing the church into groups based on worship and worship styles. And we have played, we've all played into his hand to some degree. But some of those who despise worship are part of the problem here. Because you see, God didn't want worship from one generation and not from another. He wanted the whole congregation to worship together, not divide them up and stick them in this room or that room. And some churches do that. They have youth worship over here and children's worship over here and young worship here and old people's worship somewhere else. And so we lose the whole thing that God wants from us. Finally, the fourth effort to compromise called for them to give part, but not the whole. Let it be spiritual or inward. Don't get too deeply involved. Let it be private and quiet. Don't invest too deeply. Chapter 10, verses 24 through 27, Pharaoh said, basically, don't take your flocks with you. Don't take your herds with you. Don't take everything with you. You go, and but don't just leave part of it here. He ought, the, the devil always wants us to leave something behind, but true worship demands all. And so God is bringing, to the, to bringing them to the moment that's going to be the defining moment of their lives. And so we come to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10. Remember in Exodus 3, 12, the Lord has said, I'm calling my people to worship. You shall bring them and they're going to worship me at this mountain. So they come in chapter 19. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, now mark this, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, consecrated the people. They washed their garments. He said, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Verse 16, so it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain, and a very loud trumpet sound, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked violently, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the Lord answered him with thunder. That's what happened on that day. Oh my goodness, that was an awful but an awesome experience as they stood at the foot of the mountain trembling. Now one might have said that it was unequal in the history of God's people. One might have said that this experience, never to be repeated, but in fact... It is an experience of worship. Now, please listen to me. It is an experience of worship. This experience of worship in the Old Testament that we just read about is surpassed 
surpassed every time you gather in your local church to meet the Lord. You say, Brother Eddie, if that's the case, if that can be proved here, then we need to be shaping our worship accordingly. And we need to be shaping our hearts accordingly. What do I mean by that? Well, you can see God's expectations for these people, how he wanted them to treat this moment. Not only so, by what he wanted them to experience in this moment. And what did they experience in that moment? They experienced God. They recognized his presence, but they also realized his presence. Now, if it can be, if the case can be made that this particular moment on this Sunday night is, a, is in some ways a greater moment, a holier moment, then our whole approach to what we call worship needs to change. Now, we've attempted to define worship. Now, I want to show you what I'm talking about. Look in your Bible at Hebrews chapter 12. In the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is written to the church. And as he writes to the church, he tells them this, chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which, such, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. That's where they were, but that's not where you are. Look at what he says. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. What is he saying? He's saying that the ground on which we stand is holier ground, and that our experience, our, our opportunity to experience God is a greater opportunity. And therefore, our accountability, our accountability to worship is much greater than their own. Verses 28 and 29, and this is going to end it. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, acceptably, with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, maybe it was because the preacher yelled when I was a little boy, like I guess I'm doing here tonight. He was excited, I suppose. Maybe it was because it was a different day. Maybe it was because people so felt the presence of the Lord that they sat in stunned silence when church was held.
And when church was over, the altar was full. Now, why doesn't that happen today? Is it because we have lowered the bar? The low bar is in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai. We stand on holier ground. We stand in a holier place. We stand on better promises. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. We come on the basis of a better covenant. And our Lord meets with us every time we come. Where two or three are gathered in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And if our worship that we offer to God is substandard then we need to reevaluate what we do and raise the standard back to where it ought to be let's pray